Okay, as they said, a mini-series, Praying, Giving, Serving. Today we're talking about praying. Praying. Now that's a vast subject and many sermons have been preached. I wonder how you, you feel you're doing with your prayer life right now. If you're like me, you've probably had times where you feel more focused and really close to God. And then other times perhaps you feel you've drifted a little bit. I believe one of the battles that we need to keep winning is believing in the fact that God truly answers prayer. We know what the answer is. We know what the right answer is. We know the answer that we should give, but sometimes it can be a struggle. So before we talk about the significance of praying together, the importance of having time alone with God, I want us to dig down a little bit into the reality of why sometimes it's difficult to pray and difficult to believe that God's hearing and answering our prayers. It's an incredible story of answered prayer in Acts chapter 12. I want us to have a look at that first of all this morning from verse 1 of Acts 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left them. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know that without doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark where many people gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the door, at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. But when she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. 
Okay, let's just be clear about the background here. Jesus has been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. He's been ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has come in power on the day of Pentecost. The church has been empowered to preach the gospel. Many people have come to faith in Jesus. And as this happens, the church is beginning to be persecuted. And this results in the arrest of one of the significant and primary leaders in the church, a man called Peter. So Peter is in jail and the Christians have gathered to pray for him to be released. And this happens in the miraculous way that we've just uh, read about. And many sermons have been preached on this passage. And usually the conclusion is, if only we pray, God will come through. Now, I'm not denying that wonderful reality. Please don't be misunderstanding. Let's be clear from the outset that I truly believe that God hears and answers prayer. However, I think there's more to this story than that, and I just want us to look a little bit closer at what happens here. So once Peter is released from jail through these miraculous circumstances, he goes to the house where he's being prayed for, and he knocks on the door. And a girl called Rhoda comes to the door and doesn't let him in. I I just have this picture in my mind that Rhoda's a little bit like a Middle Eastern version of Phoebe from Friends. You know, she's a little scatty, she's, oh, and off she goes, saying, Peter's here, Peter's here, but she hasn't let Peter in. She runs back and tells other people, the people who are praying, that Peter's standing outside. Let's not miss this, okay? The Christians are gathered in this place, praying for what? Peter to be released from jail. That's our understanding. He's released from jail. He goes to the house where the people are praying. This girl, Rhoda, answers the door, leaves Peter in the street, tells uh, people that Peter is at the door, and the people who are praying for Peter to be released do not believe for one moment that God has answered their prayers. Dear God, we pray that Peter would be released from his captivity. Hey guys, Peter's at the door. Rosa, will you be quiet? We're praying for Peter. <laughs> Dear God, but Peter's at... Rosa, will you stop interrupting us? We're praying for Peter, okay? And all of this time, Peter's standing outside. He's knocking on the door. He's saying, guys, will you open the door? I'm going to be arrested again unless you hurry up. <laughs> so the people are praying for Peter. They do not believe for one moment that God has answered his prayers. They pray for Peter, Rhoda tells them Peter's outside, and what do they say to her? They say, you're out of your mind. Actually, in spite of the fact that they're praying for Peter, they would prefer to believe it's an angel standing outside, rather than Peter himself. And so if you're struggling sometimes, wondering if God's able to answer your prayers, or if he's going to answer your prayer in a particular way, then it seems like you might be in good company. The early church seemed to struggle with this same thing. And we may look at this story and we may think to ourselves, well, what's wrong with these guys? Why didn't they believe? Now, I don't want to read too much into the passage, but I think there is a clue at the beginning of this chapter. Let's look again at the first verse or so. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James the brother of John, put to death with the sword. 
The writer of this account, Matthew, gives 16 verses to the story of Peter's escape and only one verse to the fact that James has been killed, which is right. The story is about Peter's release. But in the background, we don't really know how much the church is still reeling from the death of James. James was one of the disciples. In fact, alongside Peter and John, he was one of the inner circle, the three disciples who were the closest to Jesus during significant moments in Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. So we can imagine this would be devastating for the church to discover that James has been killed. And bear with me for a moment, because this isn't in the text, but I believe it's entirely logical. See what you think. Isn't this entirely logical that the church would have prayed just as fervently for James as they would have done for Peter? So I wonder that when they were praying for Peter, maybe they still had in their minds what had happened to James. And so they were battling a little bit to believe that Peter would be set free. Now, there are all sorts of reasons why we might struggle with prayer. Lack of discipline, laziness, distractions, not feeling we should ask God for much, all sorts of things. But one of these things can be disappointment. As we pray for someone to be healed and we're aware of another person who didn't get healed, that can have an impact upon how we are battling with that, what we believe God is going to do. I'm just wanting to be very honest with you guys today because the Bible is a very honest book. It's a big challenge, isn't it? It was a challenge that the early church faced. And it's a challenge that we face. And I would say for us as a church, it's been a particular challenge in recent times. And I wish I knew all the answers to that, but I don't. What I want to do is share something of my own personal journey in regard to how I felt God responds to the prayers of his people. And in order to do this, I've been reflecting on some of the words of Jesus himself. Firstly, one of Jesus' instructions about coming to the Father in Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So we're encouraged by Jesus, first of all, to bring our prayers. This is just one verse of many that I could have chosen where Jesus is encouraging us to Come and pray to the Father. So this is our starting point. We pray because Jesus says pray. And we overcome our feelings and our emotions in order that we can pursue God in prayer. Here's another important statement made by Jesus, which again I'm hanging on to. Matthew 17 verse 20. Truly I tell you, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing is impossible for you. So this is the second reason I'm determined to persevere in prayer. Not only does Jesus tell us to pray, he makes it clear that a tiny bit of faith is all that's needed for God to move and to do incredible and miraculous things. A mustard seed of faith. And as we look back on the story in Acts chapter 12, it seems that the church, as they gathered to pray, they only had a small amount of faith. It seems that way. They had enough faith to pray, but they were struggling with the idea that God would actually answer it. And I truly believe that can, that we can come, we can come with our, our mustard seeds of faith 
even if we're battling, we can come with our mustard seeds of faith. Because a mustard seed is enough. Our faith may have shrunk a little bit because things didn't happen in the way that we'd hoped or expected. But actually, the act of praying itself is still a demonstration of faith. Just coming to pray is that mustard seed in itself. And finally, the third statement made by Jesus, which has encouraged and helped me when I'm battling with my own prayer life, is this one. It's from Luke 22, verse 42, where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's arrested. He's about to face the crucifixion, the greatest ordeal, the separation from his heavenly Father, the greatest ordeal that any human being has ever faced. And at this point, he's calling out to his Father. Verse 42 says this, Father, if you are willing... Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus, whilst asking his father to take this away, was at the very same time submitting his will to the father. Your will be done. And so, alongside our request, Jesus tells us, doesn't he, in the Lord's Prayer, to pray that prayer, your will be done. This reminds us that our loving Heavenly Father, he knows best, and even though we don't understand, he, we still submit ourselves to his will and to his purpose. There's a story that we use on Free to Live about a little girl who's in a crowd and she's uh, with her father and she's willfully running all over the place. She's sort of running away, but she keeps getting lost and then in fear she runs back to her dad. Uh, and eventually the father picks her up and puts the little girl upon his shoulders. And then she can see everything. See the whole picture. She has a much better view of everything that's going on. But of course now she's dependent upon where her father goes rather than just going wherever she wanted to. And obviously this has application to our lives and submitting our wills to God. But I think it's relevant too to our prayer life. We make our requests, we call out to him, but ultimately we recognize that he knows best and the best direction and the best way. And it seems appropriate for us to pray, your will be done. And so in my struggles, as I pray, as I wrestle in prayer, I hold these three things together. The fact that we are asked, we're, we're, said, we're told to ask, seek and knock. And our Father loves to answer our prayers. The fact that we need a tiny amount of faith to see God do miraculous things. And the fact that ultimately God does know best. He knows what he's doing. And even though we don't understand, we submit our wills to his sovereignty and to his purpose. Now, I know that doesn't answer all the questions by any means at all in regard to prayer, but I hope it just helps us, encourages us, guides us as we continue to call out to God. Because what I'm saying today is let's continue. Let's be persistent in prayer. Let's keep going, shall we? In prayer. So with this in mind, let's just look at the importance of praying together and also having time alone with God. So let's start with our individual time with God. As we look at the Bible, we see an example set for us, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the book of Daniel, in chapter 6, we see where Israel are in captivity by the empire of Babylon. We find Daniel being persecuted for his faith in the living God, and yet we find his response is to go to his room, to get on his knees, 
and to pray. And we see uh, Moses speaking to God face to face. We have this wonderful verse in, in Exodus 33 where, just, uh, where Joshua, Moses' young assistant, he stays and he lingers in God's presence as Moses leaves the tent. And that's Exodus 33 verse 11. And, and as we look at the New Testament, of course, the best example, of course, is Jesus himself uh, who would often withdraw from the crowd to spend time with his heavenly Father. That's Mark 1:35, Luke 5:15 to 16, Luke 6:12 to 13, Mark 3:13, Matthew 14:13, Matthew 24:30. We could go on. Many, many occasions where Jesus is finding that time. It's so important, isn't it, for us to carve out time to be alone with God. And sometimes in those quiet moments, God will do something quite miraculous. In Acts chapter 10, we find the beginning of the good news of the Christian faith going to people who are not Jews. It starts with a Roman soldier whose name was Cornelius. And the disciple Peter, the same man that we just talked about, who was ultimately released from, from jail, uh, he, Peter is, it goes to the house of this Roman soldier called Cornelius and preaches and see the, the power of God move upon these people. It's the beginning of the ends of the earth, which Dave talked about a couple of weeks ago. Very significant moment. And yet we need to remember that, that this moment came out of a quiet time that Peter had with God. Actually, in Acts 10, verse 9, it says, About noon the following day, as they were on the journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. And during that time with God, during the time where it's just him and Peter, God speaks to Peter very clearly about opening the door of the good news of Jesus to Gentiles, to those who are outside the nation of Israel. And so when we have time quietly before God, who knows what might happen? Who knows what God might do? So let's think about how we can set aside time to be with God. What does that look like? Where is that space in our day where we have time just to be with him? And as we find time, it's really important then, isn't it, to be real with him. We find this in the Psalms, don't we? Over and over the Psalmists are very real with God. They bring their struggles. They bring their complaints. Here's a very good example of a very real prayer. I found this recently. So far today, God, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish or overindulgent. And I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a whole lot more help. It's quite a good example of an authentic prayer being prayed, I would suggest. As we have time with our Heavenly Father, let's ensure that we are waiting on Him, that we're listening to His voice as well as talking to Him. Clearly that was happening, wasn't it, uh, with Peter in Acts chapter 10. He's clearly hearing God's voice speak to him about going to the house of Cornelius. I mean, imagine if we go to a doctor... And we say, hello, doctor, I've got a twisted ankle, earwax, a snotty nose and bad breath. Thanks very much. It's been a little lovely to see you. See you again. Bye. And the doctor, I mean, the doctor might think, well, you know, he or she has got something to say to you, perhaps. 
rather than you just bringing your request and leaving. And in the same way, let's ensure that we create opportunity, not only to speak to God, but to listen to him and have our times quietly before him. This can happen through reading the Bible, through worship music, through prophetic insight that we might receive. Helen's part of a book club, and the club are currently reading a book entitled How to Pray by Pete Gregg, who's the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement. And uh, they read a chapter, and then they comment on what they've read. And I have permission to read out one of the comments made by one of the members of the group. This is what they say. Have a little listen to this. I am the least disciplined and have a long way to go, but I know that prayer changes everything. There have only been a handful of times in my life when I faced a situation that has left me feeling crippled with fear, anxiety, and an overwhelming sense of despair. You know the feeling when you can't eat? Yep, true. When your every waking thought is driven by the situation you're in. Heart racing and not able to focus on anything. My mind runs away with all sorts of dreadful outcomes. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. My natural personality often means that I go into my pragmatic sorting everything out mode when a situation arises, but when I've been paralysed by fear because there's no human way of sorting it, then prayer has been my saving grace. It's true what it says in the book, that the best way to start praying is to stop praying, to pause, to be still, to put down our prayer list, to surrender our own personal agenda, to stop talking at God long enough to focus on the wonder of who he actually is, to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I found this, I find that when I come to that place in my heart of realization that the Creator, Almighty God, my personal Savior, who loves me and is with me through the worst of my life, then when I surrender my situation to Him and say, Lord, you're in control of my life, then peace comes. Often He doesn't take me out of that situation, but He brings to me a peace where I have absolute confidence in Him and His grace becomes a living reality. I realize that even in my worst case scenario, thoughts can still stand and still breathe because of the reality is that Christ will sustain us. His grace is sufficient and that whatever happens, we can be confident that our hope is in him. No situation, however awful it might feel, can rob us of the truth that God is for us and nothing can separate us from his love. Sounds like a win-win situation to me. Father is a fantastic example of someone being real before God but also acknowledging there are times where it's just good to wait on him rather than just talk at him. And finally as we think about individual prayer lives we should be released from thinking that we need to pray big and eloquent prayers. We're allowed to keep it simple. The words of Jesus from Matthew 6 5 to 13 and when you pray Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is as you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so, in the context of praying quietly on our own, Jesus gives us this Lord's Prayer as a pattern, as a framework to use and to to help us pray. I don't really want to spend lots of time today discussing how we should pray or what we should pray for, but obviously this prayer provides a really helpful ongoing framework. It's uh, pretty straightforward, isn't it? Do you realize the Lord's Prayer has 57 words in it? Only 57 words. By contrast, the European Union report on the regulations of the sale of cabbages has 26,906 words. I would suggest to you that um, millions of people say the Lord's Prayer every day. I really wonder how many people have read the report on cabbages. So, that's not a, a Brexit statement, it's just a fact. So, by providing this very helpful framework, Jesus is encouraging us to keep it simple. Uh, my encouragement for all of us is we find time where we can be quietly before God. Is that a challenge for us? It's a challenge for me, ongoing. We need to keep persevering in that and just look at that time. Where is that time where we can be quietly before him? Let's just spend a moment now thinking about the significance of corporate prayer. The importance of gathering together and meeting to call out to God together. And as we look at the Bible, we find this pattern throughout the whole of Scripture. We see a king called Jehoshaphat, who's about to go into battle, and the fact that he calls his people together to pray. This is in 2 Chronicles verse, uh, chapter 20. During the time of Ezra, while the temple in Jerusalem is being restored, we see the people seeking God's help together to uh, gather together. They gather together in repentance and in confession. Uh, it's Ezra chapter 8 and Ezra chapter 10. During the time of Nehemiah, who was called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We find the people gathering together to call out to God. That's Nehemiah chapter 9. And of course, as we look in the New Testament and we look in the book of Acts, we see the early church gathering to pray. In Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit comes and Acts chapter 4 where the church is being persecuted, the, the believers call out to God together. And of course, we've already made reference to Acts chapter 12 where the church had gathered together to pray for Peter. In Matthew 18, Jesus promises that where two or three are gathered, he will be there in the midst of them and he will respond to the united prayers of his people. So there's good reason to gather together and to pray together. How do you feel about prayer meetings? People can feel nervous about them. They can feel nervous because they feel they might have prayed too much and therefore dominated the meeting. On the other hand, they might feel nervous because they were silent and they made no contribution at all and they feel, well, why did I go? People can feel nervous because their prayers are not as eloquent as other people's prayers. People can feel nervous because they're concerned that Maybe their prayers are not as theologically accurate as other people's prayers. I just want us to, I want to encourage us to lay down these fears and these insecurities. As we pray together, surely, most of all, it's about owning together and standing together as things are prayed. We can spend an entire prayer meeting being silent, but actually praying the whole time as we're owning the prayers that other people have prayed. As we agree and own in our hearts those prayers prayed by others, we're just as involved in a prayer meeting as anyone else. 
But beyond that, I want to encourage people who really feel nervous about uh, speaking out in prayer meetings. I want you to pray out loud. Let's go for it. Let's not worry about eloquence or 100% theological accuracy. Let's call on God together and be real as we pray. See, the prayers of a child can be the most precious thing. And they're precious because they're authentic. If we can approach a corporate prayer meeting in a way which maybe sets aside the the need to say the right thing or the need to impress others, then if we're able to approach a prayer gathering in a way which remembers that actually what matters most is that we're calling out to the living God, our Heavenly Father, I think we can make some progress in our prayer lives together. And finally, before I discuss very practical and very specific points of application, I just want to say one more thing, if I haven't said enough already. Um, I sincerely believe that as we pray in gathered prayer meetings that has a very positive impact upon our individual prayer lives. Also, I believe that when we spend time individually with God and draw close to Him on our own, that has an incredibly positive impact as we come and gather with others to pray. Because actually, what He does within us overflows into a corporate context. And so our greater, our greater commitment to the individual blesses the corporate, and our greater commitment to the corporate blesses the individual. And so as I conclude, let's look at how as a church we can help you in your ongoing journey of prayer. And of course there are many different initiatives, and you've got the prayer initiatives leaflet today, uh, and we want to continue to give opportunity for us um, to, to be praying together. And just today gives us an opportunity to focus our minds and our hearts on a commitment to pray. Let me start by telling you about our prayer week. This will be from the 3rd to the 10th of November. It will start with a prayer meeting on the Sunday evening, relaunching our Sunday night prayer focus. All of this is obviously on this leaflet, um, but I'm just wanting you to really get hold of this. Um, We're also looking to make use of our prayer room on Wednesday the 6th of November by blocking slots, sorry, booking slots to cover the whole 24-hour period. That's the plan. Yeah, the slots are half an hour each. If you want to come and pray for longer, you can book two slots or three slots or four slots, or ten slots, or whatever. Come and pray. These can be booked on the welcome desk. We're starting on Wednesday morning with the BCP prayer meeting. We're concluding on Thursday morning with the early morning prayer meeting. And we're filling all the slots in between. As well as coming to pray, you can be prayed for. The prayer appointment team will be available to pray for you during that day. So if you want to Receive prayer, then you can book with them again on the welcome desk. So the 6th of November is a big day in terms of us praying. But more than that, we're going to see how much of the rest of the week we can cover in prayer between us all. We're looking for people to commit to prayer at other times during that particular week. Maybe at home, maybe at work in your lunch break, or maybe in, um, in families together. Maybe uh, while you're driving the car, keep your eyes open. Maybe in the middle of the night if you're brave or crazy. Praying wherever you are. 
And we're going to color in the slots on that big diagram on the wall. See how much of the week we can commit to pray, together to pray. And so you might say, right, I want to put down this slot because that's when I'm driving, this slot because of my lunch hour, this slot I'm going to pray with my family, whatever it might be. Let's see how much of that we can fill in. There's only something like 180 slots there. So no problem. They're half an hour slots. How about it? Who's up for deciding we're going to commit? Imagine a whole week where we're covering this church, this nation, the nations of the world in prayer. So we can talk as we get closer about all of the things that we'll be praying for. But first we need a commitment to decide, yeah, we will pray. So again, um, I want us to think about that. In addition, we're asking midweek groups to have a prayer meeting in that week of prayer rather than have their normal group. And we'll conclude the the week with an encounter meeting on the 10th, uh, on the Sunday where we'll gather together to worship, to celebrate God, to bring anything that we feel God may have said to us over that week. So that's all to come in a few weeks' time. So I'm encouraging us, are we going to be ready? Are we going to be signing up? Are we up for this? Because let's face it, prayer is pretty important, guys. All the other prayer meetings, the prayer initiatives continue, including prayer army. Now this is the final bit of application I want us to consider today. And this requires us... So what, can we just stand together for a second? That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Do take your seats. I just wanted to um, really get our attention. Because we're drawing to an end. We think, ah, we can drift into the end now. Terry's pretty well done. Let me just talk to you for a moment about the prayer army. The prayer army consists of a group of people who receive an email each week with four prayer points on that email. These points relate to our church, our town, the nation, the nations of the world. This email is sent out by our wonderful prayer coordinator, Maureen Evans, who's somewhere over there, I believe. She's there at the back waving. She sends these emails out to a committed army of prayers. Members of the church who are ready to call out to God. And the members of the prayer army pray for all the points on the email at whatever time in the week they choose. There's no specific time they have to pray. They can pray for one point per day. They can pray for all of them together. They can pray for all of them every day. Whatever they feel they want to do. But they receive the prayer points and then they pray. And today, we are relaunching the prayer army. Because of this wonderful thing called GDPR, We need people to sign in the prayer army again to say they want to receive the email. So even if you're already part of the prayer army, we actually need you to sign in again. If you're up for supporting it and you've never been part of the prayer army before, then I'm inviting you today to sign in. Signing in for the prayer army. We're going to do it very specifically, very publicly. We have tables on both sides, with sign-up sheets. A very unusual altar call. But I felt that this could be an important public 
and symbolic moment. You'll simply receive an email with a prayer point. You can decide during the week when you pray. And as we sign up to the prayer army, we are making a statement of faith. We're acknowledging the significance of calling out to God. Calling out to the Almighty God. And I wonder if the worship band would come back. And as Helen and the team come, and as they lead us, I want as many of us as possible to come to these tables and be prepared to sign up to the prayer army. Can I just mention to you, this was an army drill hall, and it was used for people to come and sign up. This is true, isn't it, Andrew? Andrew's the historian amongst us. It was used, people came to sign up in this very building. And so, this physical place, people would sign up to fight. I'm asking us today to repeat history. Will you come and will you sign up to fight in prayer? To be committed intercessors. We just need a name, we just need an email address, a signature. The details are fairly straightforward. Now, obviously, I'm keen for us to engage in our week of prayer as well, which is why I talked about that. But this is an immediate response. This is an immediate opportunity. This is an immediate thing. So I wonder, could we stand together? Helen and the team are going to lead us in worship. And as part of our act of worship, if we feel we can and we're able, let's sign up and become part of the prayer army. So as we begin to worship, as Helen leads us now, and I'm inviting people to come straight away. I'm going to get my... Oh, Lois, there's people moving before I've even started. Helen, you better start. Let's, uh, let's worship together and let's...